in the world of freedom. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ich bin ein Berliner. This is Radio Goethe Magazine with Arndt Peltner. News and information from the heart of Europe. Hello and welcome to Radio Goethe Magazine. I'm Aunt Pelt. In today's program, we visit the Toy Museum in Nuremberg and have an introduction of an indie label in Leipzig. So stay tuned. But first, the news. Radio Goethe Magazine. The news with Nina Paula. München. Dozens of words in the German language from degenerate to final solution have become taboo because of their use by the Nazis. A new dictionary of Third Reich terms provides a guide through the linguistic minefield. The Nazis carried out a hate campaign against degenerate music, now the word itself has become taboo. And many other words as well, as if German weren't hard enough. Three genders, endlessly long words, verbs coming at the end of impossibly rambling sentences. But there is another linguistic trap one can easily fall into. The Wörterbuch der Vergangenheitsbewältigung, Dictionary of Coming to Terms with the Past, examines around thousand words and phrases which shouldn't be used anymore today. Berlin. Germans have a heavy weight problem. A new study shows that more than a half of all Germans are too fat. Two-thirds of all men and 51% of women officially overweight. But in another shocking revelation, the National Consumption Study has shown that 10% of German girls under 17 years of age were underweight. It also shows that the majority of Germans have very little knowledge about what they eat and what effect the food has on their bodies. Only 10% of the interviewed people had any idea how many calories they needed each day or how many they consumed. Beer, fatty foods and a lack of physical activity are the main reasons for Germans expanding waistlines. München Michael Ballack is the biggest German soccer star in years. Success at home and abroad, captain of his country, immense wealth. British media now have quoted him as saying, whether I stay another year, go somewhere else or hang up my boots, you never know in soccer. Now the question rises whether he has done enough to be regarded as a legend like Beckenbauer, Rummenigge and Matthäus. Since making his Germany debut in 1999, Ballack has won 77 caps and scored 35 goals. He has played in two World Cup semi-finals and one Confederations Cup semi-final. He has led his country as captain since 2004. Football experts ask now if his performances stand out in much the same way as for example Matthäus outshone Maradona in the 1990 final in Rome. Erfurt. An internet travel agency based in Erfurt is offering a special flight to popular vacation spot Usedom. Before takeoff, passengers have to strip off. The travel agency Ossiurlaub.de provides these nudist flights to target Eastern Germany's large population of devotees to FKK, free body culture. This essentially naturism was an authorized and extremely popular tradition under communist rule. The first nude flight will be a day trip on July the 5th between Erfurt and Usedom. All passengers will fly naked, but they only will be allowed to undress once they are in the plane. Tickets cost 499 euros. The flight personnel will stay fully dressed for security reasons. 
Nürnberg. Snowflake, Nürnberg's favorite polar bear cub, is growing fast and is even making her first attempts at standing up. Nürnberg Zoo veterinarian Bernhard Neurohr told the media that Snowflake, known as Flocke in German, could balance herself on all fours somewhat wobbly. Meanwhile, the zoo and city are busy preparing for the little bear's big debut, which is scheduled for late March or early April. The zoo is expecting a crowd of roughly 25,000 people on weekend days and holidays. The zoo is preparing for the expected crowds by constructing new ticket kiosks to cope with the hordes of visitors. Eine Insel mit zwei Bergen und im tiefen, weiten Meer Mit viel Tunnels und Geleisen und dem Eisenbahnverkehr Nun, wie mag die Insel heißen? Ringsherum ist schöner Strand Jeder sollte einmal reisen in das schöne Lummerland Today we talk about trains and some part of railroad history. Omaha, Nebraska is our stop. Radio Goethe reporter Nina Paula went there, well, almost there, to find more than just some steam trains. This is a train driving through the central station of Omaha, Nebraska. And Nebraska is located in Nuremberg, Germany. Of course, it's on one colon 64 model, but it looks exactly like the original in the US. Here in the historic city center of Nuremberg is the Toy Museum with this extraordinary model railroad. I talked to the director of the museum, Helmut Schwarz, and asked him what's so special about that railroad. This is a very special toy because it was modeled along the example of uh, a train station and a, a traffic, uh, important traffic point in, in the American uh, railroad traffic, and that was in Omaha, Nebraska. And Omaha, Nebraska was the starting point of the transcontinental railway or railroad. And um, this transcontinental railroad started in Omaha and, and tried to link uh, the, the two oceans, the Pacific with the Atlantic. And therefore, in Omaha, lots of different railroad companies, uh, they came to this place. And from there on, the Union Pacific took over and took their, the goods of the other companies uh, to the Pacific coast. And this was the reason why a railroad enthusiast uh, by the name of Dr. Wolfram Bismarck. Um, he had the dream to recreate this very important um, railroad junction in Omaha. And he started building this uh, model train layout in 1950 and only finished it by 1974. So it took 24 years of really hard work to recreate this Omaha station and the Omaha railroad traffic. Why did he choose Omaha, Nebraska? Was he there and he was so fascinated about this? Uh well, this, this is uh, the extraordinary thing about uh, this uh, layout. Uh, Wolfram Bismarck never went to the United States. And uh, so it's more or less his American dream that he lived um, with building this layout. Uh, he had friends in the United States, and they supplied him with uh, photographs uh, from Omaha, Nebraska, from the Union Station. Uh, we have this wonderful building there, built to scale uh, by uh, Bismarck there. And it's very, very detailed. 
but the, he didn't have the original plans. All that he had were very good photographs, and according to these photographs, he built these models. Actually, um, his interest in uh, American railroading, in, in American uh, trains, um, was started or was triggered off by seeing a very famous film, the film uh, Union Pacific, and he saw that in the cinema um, in 1948, and um, he was so fascinated by the story, and uh, the, the story behind this film is the, the building of the transcontinental uh, railroad, so that he really fell in love with the idea of um, recreating this uh, great moment in history, in railroad history, with his uh, own special layout. How did he get all the details, the material and the trains? It's very different. He was a, a very inventive person when it came to building this layout. Of course, he had friends, like I said, in the United States, and they sent him the rolling stock for uh, his layout. But not all of these uh, engines you can see there are custom built or, or built by, by uh, toy companies or model train companies. But some of these... Um, very special engines were built by himself from cardboard and wood uh, using windscreen wipers from from cars as as engines uh, to to drive these uh, locomotives um, but he was also kind of a very inquisitive person that thought about using everyday material in his layout for instance um, uh, one day he, he watched his wife cleaning uh, the carpet with a vacuum cleaner and uh, he realized that the, the size of the tube of the vacuum cleaner was exactly what he wanted to have uh, for um, a special liquid container where you put in fuel, for instance. And uh, so he didn't really ask his wife whether he could make use of this tube, but um, he, he just cut off a piece of this tube and transformed it into one of his cars for uh, the railroad track, um, railroad layout. And the week later, his wife said, well, wasn't the, the tube originally a little bit longer? I have to bend down a bit now. It's, it's very, very strange. And then he had to confess that it was used for the layout. And you told me that he did all by himself. Only a few persons helped him to, to paint all these little things. So that's why he needed 24 years. Yes, because that was, of course, something that he did as his hobby. Um, but um, funnily enough, he also made his hobby into his profession because he worked for Nuremberg uh, toy companies that specialized in, in building um, model trains, like he worked for Fleischmann, which is a very famous name in the, in the model world, and also he worked for Lehmann uh, with the, the big train, the, the garden trains. And for these companies, he built uh, layouts that were used uh, for uh, fairs, for instance, or in, in, in special shops. And um, in his spare time, he just continued what he did during the day. And therefore, of course, he didn't work for 24 years just on, on this one layout. But that was more or less his masterpiece that he did in his spare time. And, and he actually rented a special place in a, in a basement. And the size and, and the shape of the layout is a little bit confined and defined by the size of the room he rented. 
for all those people who could not are not so happy as we are and we can see uh, this uh, very big thing could you describe the details we see it is very very difficult to describe it because there's so many details but um, the main idea of of this layout is that that you have um, two stations one station is the omaha union station and uh, in reality um, the Omaha Union Station and the city on the other side of the Missouri uh, is Council Bluffs. And between Omaha and Council Bluffs, there is a, a very regular traffic that crosses the river. And basically, uh, on, on, the, on the front part of um, uh, the layout, the Omaha Union Station situation is detailed. And then there is a gap uh, where... Uh, the person who runs uh, the, uh, the layout uh, has to, to crawl underneath when um, some of the engines get derailed. And on, on the other side of the gap, there is Council Bluffs. So the idea is the traffic that takes place between these two stations can be remodeled in the layout. We have all sorts of trains in the toy museum because trains have always been a very important article in the toy world. And uh, we have um, toy trains. That means these are trains that are not detailed according to the real uh, example, but um, are trains that are just there for playing for children. And, uh, but we also have some of the mo uh, more modern uh, trains that are due to a certain scale and were built to scale. And in, in this respect, our great model train layout is a very important um, exhibit in our museum. Um, could you uh, give an example for, for such a train? How do they look like? The old toy trains, um, they all started off without tracks. So that's the main um, difference to modern trains. And they were meant as pull-along toys. Um, like in, in, in old times, the children used to have, uh, for instance, ducks that they pulled on a string behind them when they were walking through the rooms. And uh, just like these um, pull-along toys, the first trains were modeled. So they didn't run on tracks. And uh, it was in, in the, in, in the 1890s, 1890s when for the first time um, companies started building uh, railways, railroad toys um, that were moved along tracks. So they got more modern, the trains they were built. What do they say about the culture or the development here in Germany? Uh, but of course, toys are always like a mirror of um, real developments and therefore uh, especially all the technical developments or the, the technical progress of the age of industrialization is mirrored in toys. And very often new developments in traffic like uh, the trains or planes or ships or whatever um, is very truly um, mirrored by toys that uh, came on the market shortly after uh, the first real uh, things appeared in the world. Nuremberg is the toy city. The toy museum plays a very big part uh, in, in this history. What do you show here to manifest that we are here, the toy city? Well, um, it's, as you said, a very important museum. It's a large museum. We have about 1,400 square meters floor space. And uh, in, in 14 rooms, 
we show um, the development of uh, the regional it's not just Nuremberg toy history, but it's the regional toy history, the Franconian toy history. And in every room you will find objects that were made in Nuremberg that started off in, uh, in, the, in the 15th century. The, our first objects from, of Nuremberg origin are from the 15th century. And it goes right uh, to the presence. And, and in every room, be it um, dolls, be it dolls' houses, or uh, metal toys, tin toys, wooden toys, uh, you name it. And in, in, in all of these rooms, uh, Nuremberg uh, objects are present. And therefore, strolling through the museum is also like strolling through uh, six centuries of continuous toy making and dealing with toys in Nuremberg. <laughs> Leipzig is a booming metropolitan area in East Germany, and not just in the sense of business and trade, but also culturally. Major music festivals like the Wave and Gothic Treffen are happening here, 
And Leipzig is also home of many new labels, a report from Mephisto 97.6, the university station in Leipzig. The music label Rootdown Records was founded in 1999. Their first disc with the name Racer Selection was completely successful. It was applied as a sampler of German reggae artists. One of them is Nozlu. Because of his subcultural success, he became figurehead of Rootdown. In the beginning, rap music was his favorite style. But now, reggae is his passion and his relation to music goes further on. If there is no music, if people never know music, I would invent it. In addition to Nozlev, Nikita Mann is the second famous artist of the label. As a young man, he migrated from the Netherlands to Germany. At first, he gave several bands a trial, while discovering the reggae music for himself. In 2002, he started the combo with Mono, an Austrian vocalist. By then, they were called Mono and Nikita Man. In cooperation with Nozlev, Rootdown became a notorious label. Based on their fame, newcomers like the Swiss Lee Everton considered the label. Rootdown was a cool label. Rootdown is a really cool label. They are working professional and they are also in a tight contact to the music artists. They are working with passion and there are not so much labels. I've watched Rootdown since a few years and I think they did a good job. Lee Everton is the exotic of the Rootdown artists. He was the first artist who performs in English. At his live performances, he's joined only by his guitar. For Rootdown, this seemed like the start in a new era. But it's wrong to say the label is working international now. The traditional combo of Nozlev, Mono and Nikita Man has been saved. The bondage of new artists isn't a problem. Nikita Man said it's an advantage. Rutan artists are a combination of the few people you know. And we are representative for the German reggae and dancehall music. For sure the label has to expand the roster. And every artist is looking for some new sources of money. In the same way like the label wants to deal with new marketing. In this situation our label has good conditions in promotion and marketing. New artists want to use this connection. In this time, Rootdown has taken the marketing for some Austrian acts. One of them is the crew House of Rhythm. It's a local band of the city St. Pölten. They are famous for their wonderful reggae rhythms. But the development of the label is not only an external now. Nozlev presented his second reggae album in May this year. The Everton follows him right behind and Mono and Nikita Men are working on their next disc. It seems that there are certain signs showing incoming success for Rootdown. There was today's Radio Goethe magazine. Please find us online at radiogoethe.org. I'm Aunt Peltner.